0: five and I'm gonna read through verse nineteen. Luke chapter three verse five through verse nineteen. I need to turn this there we go. Whoa. This has not been tested with the Mike two. A little bit lower I think. That's about it, huh? If you have a hard time hearing, you sit on this side. We haven't gotten the speaker running yet, so. But we got this part done, so it's progress. All right. Luke chapter seventeen, beginning verse five. I'll bring out the New King James Version, as is our custom. God's word declares, and the apostles said to the Lord, "Increase our faith." So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did the things which were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And so when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to them, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Morning. I am going to, obviously, from hopefully you recognize that from our Bible reading, that I am going to uh, take a parenthesis, a little uh, time away from Acts. In our study there, as we have uh, moved past the entry of the gospel to the Gentiles, and I want to take a little aside um, to direct our attention to this season, and those of you who know me know that this is um, no doubt my favorite holiday. I only wish it was in September instead of November, but I won't complain. Mid-September would be a much better time for this. Um, but in the American mentality, we um, praise the Lord with our last fruits instead of first fruits historically, so we wait till the harvest is all in, and then we have praise instead of the Israeli way, which is you give God glory at the beginning of the harvest, not the end of it. Um, but that's how the pilgrims did it back then, and so that's the tradition of our country. Um, Interesting that uh, FDR, um, among all the other things that he tried to accomplish, tried to move Thanksgiving Day. I don't know how many of you knew that. Uh, He actually had a bill introduced to Congress to move it up one week, Uh, but his reasoning didn't have anything to do with mine. Um, He just wanted more time for shopping between Thanksgiving and Christmas, and uh, Congress resoundingly defeated that. And established forever the last Thursday in November, the third Thursday of November, as Thanksgiving Day. Isn't that interesting? So, um, this is our opportunity to rejoice, give praise and and worship to God. Uh, It is a time of thanksgiving to God. And I think that that is important, that we don't leave out those two words at the end of our understanding of what we want to be focused upon, not just in this season, but particularly in this season. And I want to lay out an axiom, uh, a, a, an idea, a, a, uh, what I believe is a truth. And that is that without Thanksgiving, it is impossible to worship God. That in fact, Thanksgiving itself is the very foundation of all real celebration that we experience, uh, and that's, if you look through almost all of our holidays, there's one or two that just, but it's obvious why they don't, uh, Halloween is one of them that don't include Thanksgiving, uh, when you walk up to someone's door and say, give me a treat or else, um, th- there's really no foundation Thanksgiving for that, is there, you know, I'm gonna threaten you with a trick if you don't give me a treat, so, um, that's a threat-based holiday, um. So we're not going to focus on that. Um, But if you look at all the other major celebrations, they are all founded on being thankful. We celebrate the 4th of July. Why? To celebrate a thankfulness for the birth of our country. Even if it did happen on the 5th of July. We're going to celebrate on the 4th. Um, We have Mother's Day in... Father's Day and Grandparent's Day and Child's Day. We have Veterans Day, Memorial Day, Labor Day, all of which are calling upon us to give thanks to each other, to give be thankful. Uh, we would hope to God for our mothers, to God for our fathers, to God for our children, thanks to God for our nation, for those who served uh, as veterans, as, as those who died. Um, we, we give thanks to God for our employers. Did you know that's what Labor Day is for? Or is it for them to give thanks for you? I think it's for us to give thanks that we have labor to accomplish. And that's going to fall into our passage this morning. Uh, and so Thanksgiving, uh, of course, we can think of, uh, certainly we thank God for the resurrection of Jesus Christ uh, in, the, in around the Passover period. And the Passover itself is a is a time to give thanks to God for His deliverance of Israel out of Egypt, um, over and over again, the cause of celebration is rooted in the spirit of thanksgiving. And when thanksgiving is lost, the real joy of celebration is gone. It's, it's just lost. It's entirely uh, empty. And when we look at how people celebrate these events, even their birthday, you're really saying thank you for another completed year, cumpleaños, thank you for a finished year of life from God. And so we are giving thanks. And that is foundational to celebration. Um, And I would contend that it is foundational to worship, that worship of God really is an act of celebration. And I I would just further contend that those as we're going to see in a little bit, that those that have lost thankfulness um, have perverted the celebration of events with distraction and instead of remembrance have entered into a season of forgetfulness. They want to forget everything. And so instead of enjoying a time of remembrance, they rather douse themselves until they forget. And this is a result of thanklessness. That they do not, are not thankful any longer. And we're going to study this a little bit this morning and maybe next week as well. Um, it's that important. I want to not just spend one week and this is our Thanksgiving service. If, if I don't complete the, the material, we're going to press in the next week. Um, we want to begin, first of all, the word of prayer. And then we're going to look into some of our text. And I have three different facets that I want to look at. If not this morning, in the next this week and next, let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your goodness to us. And we thank you for an opportunity to rehearse it together and to be challenged in our heart and our spirit and our mind by its necessity. That we understand that we cannot live, move without your grace, mercy, goodness. That life itself is authored by you, is sustained by you. And it is intended to bring you glory. And Lord, we pray for your help in doing so this morning. And we commit this time to you and pray that you might move in it mightily. And that you might transform our hearts from one of self-orientation to ones that praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Lord, we need your Spirit's help in that we thank you for your word before us. We pray that he might be active through it to convince us of your truth. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. I have, in my experience with people, I have found that most of uh, those that I encounter feel that somehow that the one in the equation of God's relationship with man, who should be thankful is God, that he has us on his side. Uh, That somehow that God should be thankful that we um, are here in church today. God should be pleased. Um, God should be thankful that I do anything for him, um, let alone everything for him. That I should be rewarded for any act of obedience, no matter how minimal and no matter how inconsistent. That somehow this is owed to me, that if God was God, that he would certainly treat me in that fashion. And we put the requirement of thankfulness upon God instead of upon ourselves. And we give ourselves permission to be embittered, really, against our Savior um, if we experience the smallest amount of discomfort in our lives, whether spiritually or relationally or, or physically or materially. And we find a very different perspective in God's Word that calls upon us to understand that um, God is in the position to receive glory um, and He has already provided for us to such an extent that to fail to do so is sin on our behalf that if we recognize how transcendent He is, how high He is, how great He is, and we consider our position that we would never make such an accusation before God, that we've never let that attitude or spirit even enter into our thinking, let alone into our being. And this Christ clearly teaches in Luke 17. As he takes the disciples aside and having just completed uh, explaining to themselves that about what forgiveness means and repentance and, and how many times do I have to forgive someone and, and you know, seven times seven be and we're like, okay, 490, i got to start counting. Um, and uh, the disciples' response is a very accurate one. Lord, increase our faith. Um, that takes a lot of faith to be that forgiving. In the midst of all this, He um, takes them aside to instruct them on their relationship with God. And you might say, well, this is a little disconnected. There's a little... How does their Christ's statements about forgiving each other lie next to statements about our service to the Lord? And I think it goes back to the whole idea of recognizing who and what God has done versus who and what we are and what we have done. Uh, That when we consider... Uh, what God has done on our behalf, how much He has forgiven us who repent. That once we begin to catalog that, once we begin to grasp the depth of our sin and how unfathomable it is that God, who lives in inapproachable light, would bend Himself down to offer us any amount of forgiveness, not alone complete forgiveness, then we would certainly understand that the expectation for us to forgive one another, again, the qualifier is if he repents and asks for forgiveness. That's the condition of forgiveness. Forgiveness is not carte blanche. It's not, you know, uh, without uh, any requirements. Um, there's prerequisites to forgiveness. Uh, and that is not only true between us and God, it's between each other. Um, and so God calls us to be forgiving. That if he repents, if he comes and asks you for forgiveness... Uh, Even if it's 490 times in a row, you have to have a spirit of forgiveness. But it always is qualified by their repentance and their request of forgiveness. And so we come to God, and I am confident that I surpass 490 times annually in asking God to forgive me. And by your smiles, I guess many of you are too. I don't know why you're smiling about that. Maybe you don't, and you're just smiling about the fact that I am but I'm pretty sure I have to do that more than 490 times a year before God. Asking Him to forgive me. Not only for sins of commission, but of omission. Oh Lord, forgive me that I didn't do this, that you commanded me. And so, Christ, to put it in perspective, and to recognize that what He is asking of them with regard to each other, is a small thing compared to what... God has done for us relates to us the servant and the master parable that we find here in verses 7 through 10. We find that it is not for us to come to God and anticipate look, I've done this much. You should be thankful for me. Look, I've preached this sermon. You should be praising me. You should be rewarding me. But rather, The question comes out is, is that how servants treat masters? Is that how we who are of this world approach the one who made us with that kind of a spirit? And this is the foundation of thanksgiving, is to recognize who we are, what we have done, and how little we have contributed (laughs) <laughs> so little that we call it nothing. If anything, I've brought negative to the table of grace and, and, and the relationship between me and God. Um, I've only brought sin. I've only brought filth and wickedness and lewdness, um, imagination. Uh, I've brought all these things to the table and, and God is the one who has brought truth and He has brought mercy and love and grace goodness, forgiveness, justice. He has brought these things. When I begin to understand that relationship that He who has done so much can demand everything from me because He has given me everything that I am. And when I have done all His commandments, and of course none of us have done that, none of us have kept all the commandments of God, but even if we have kept them all, we do not come to God and say, aren't you lucky? Aren't you thankful? Don't you want to pat me on my back because I've done a great job for your name? Oh, no, never. And Jesus Christ says, Ask the question Does the master thank the servant because he did the things that were commanded him? And Jesus says, I think not. I don't think so, people. I don't think that's the direction of thanksgiving that we should anticipate because it's inappropriate. We are the ones who are indebted to God. God is not indebted to us at all. We are indebted to Him. And that debt requires us to be thankful. And so we are called upon that when we have done everything that we have been commanded, our conclusion is we are unprofitable servants. We have done what is our duty to do, we have done the minimum. And this approach, this philosophy, this this kind of thinking is absolutely necessary to understanding the next uh, event that happens and the instructions there on Thanksgiving. And that is that we must recognize where we are in in, in, uh, contrast to where God is and who he is. I am an unprofitable servant. That is, even if I compare myself to others of my fear, and I conclude that I'm doing a better job at it than them, it's nothing compared to what God has done for me. I am unprofitable. That is, I bring no value to the kingdom of God. The one who brings value to the kingdom of God is Jesus Christ, is God Himself at work in me. And anything I can do is only by His power, by His authority, by His working in me, so that anything I do has to be to His credit and not to mine. And so I do not bring value to the kingdom of God. I am an instrument of the value God brings to His kingdom. That He can be at work in us, but it's always to His honor, His praise, His glory, the celebration of who and what God has done. And this is the spirit of thanksgiving. That once I understand my place. And I'm not talking about going around and slapping myself in self-deprecation. You don't even have to do that. Just recognize who you are. Just recognize what you bring. You bring nothing. You don't have to sit down and say, I'm bad, I'm dumb, I'm, I'm, I'm weak. I'm, you don't have to go around and say that. We all know that. We're not talking about self-deprecation. We're not putting yourself down all the time. You don't have to put yourself down. You are down. Yes, you're the highest of the created beings. But you're still a created being. And thanksgiving is about recognizing who and what God has done. Who God is. In contrast to who you are. And so, this statement, I am an unprofitable servant, is not false humility. This is a genuine understanding of the relationship between myself and my Creator. And I have done what is my duty to do. It is the minimum. It is the requirement of my life to serve my God and King. And right on the heels of this instruction, Luke gives us an example. And, um, It's a powerful one. It's a little bit of a negative one because we have nine negative examples and one positive. Nine failures. Nine times out of ten. Failure. To have the spirit of thanksgiving in our life. And I would contend that that's pretty accurate as a rate of what we are willing to thank God for. Ten lepers are healed. One realizes, wow, I have just been given a wonderful gift. I have gone from a life of exclusion where I only live among other lepers in the leper colony. I have gone from a life where if I draw near to a community, they have permission to throw stones at me. I have gone from separation from my family and all that I love. I have gone from being unable to really work to being a a vital, living person within the general society, being able to be reunited with all that I love. And here comes this one who dawns on him. We had to call to Jesus from a distance. We never got close to him because we wouldn't be allowed that close because of our disease. So they yell at Jesus, Have mercy on us! Never got close enough. Jesus didn't go over and touch them, didn't wash them, didn't do anything. He called back, go show yourself to the priest. (laughs) This was a long distance relationship. And they were still the recipients of God's mercy and grace because they did what they were told. They said, oh, okay, Uh, we're not healed yet, but we'll start going. And by faith, they walked a little ways. And, and as they walked, they started to become healed. And, and the closer they got to the priest's house, the more healed they were. And they were, by the time they got there, they were whole. And one realized, I never got close to Jesus. I'm the recipient of His mercy and grace. I need to go back and worship him. And this comes to our axiom of the day that without thankfulness there is no mercy. There is no worship. There's no worship if there is no thanksgiving in your heart. He comes. And I want to look at it very carefully. Verse fifteen says, "One of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and, with a loud voice, glorified God. He didn't whisper it. He fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. Thanksgiving was his message, his his declaration, and worship was his his in, endeavor, and and it." evidence itself by his humiliation that it, there was nothing he wasn't willing to do. He, he didn't deserve to be in the presence of this one. And so he put his face on the ground and he crawls before him and he humbles himself in giving thanks to him and rejoicing that he was counted worthy of such a prize as this. And this one comes to worship the Son of God. And Jesus Christ does not flinch to simply... Uh, recognize that by coming and falling down before Jesus, you're giving glory to God, it says in verse 18. One of those powerful passages where you have an individual receiving worship as God. His name is Jesus. This isn't the only time, but this is one of those times that Jesus receives that worship and recognizes that this is bringing glory to God. I want you to see the foundation of it, and that is a thankful heart that understands his relationship to the one that he is thankful to. That he is high, I am low. That he is given, I have received. That he is the one who must be praised, and I must be the one who praises him without end. This is the spirit that brings thanksgiving. It is founded in our understanding that I didn't deserve to be healed. That I couldn't heal myself. (laughs) That this is a wonderful working of God on my behalf. I am purely the recipient. And therefore, I must give thanks. It is incumbent upon me to give thanks to my God for what He has done for me. Nine failed though. Of what sort are these nine? Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. I want you to see just how critical thanksgiving is in your relationship with God. In Romans chapter 1, let's begin reading in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Not that they don't have it. They simply suppress it. They don't want to hear it. Verse 19. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God... the fact is, even your atheist friends know in their heart of hearts, as much as they try to deny it in their life and mouth, that there is a God. They knew God. Past tense. Already have that knowledge in them. They did not glorify Him as God. And next phrase, nor were thankful. Became futile in their thoughts. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four footed animals and creeping things and footballs. I added that one. Some crazy guy has to go to every Buffalo Bills game. No matter where it is, even if it snowed out, he's going to fly to Detroit. He goes to every Buffalo Bills game. 336 of them in a row. We are more committed to football than church. I'm still waiting for someone to make sure they don't miss a single service, not 336 of them in a row. I wonder if he was ever sick one of those weeks. They worshipped the creation instead of the creator. Why? Because they weren't thankful. When an unthankful spirit enters us, you will find complete disinterest in worshiping God. Bitterness will follow on its heels and you will seek to replace God with anything of your own creation. They did not want to glorify Him as God because they weren't thankful for all that He had provided for them. And this unthankfulness is the brokenness of men, and, it, and it's founded in the pride of men. And this is why Christ carefully, or Luke's presentation of the events and the teaching, carefully makes us first understand, uh, know your place, know who you are in this e- relationship, that you are the recipient of, Of the wonders of God. You are the unprofitable one. You are the servant. He is the master. He is the holder of all grace and mercy and love and truth and goodness. You are not. (laughs) He is the one that must cleanse us to make us a vessel of His grace and mercy. But it must be His work. And it was a powerful one. A miraculous one. And once we understand that then we can become thankful for all that we have received. But in our pride, this Roman's character, which is all of us really without Christ, um, builds us up. I, don't, I shouldn't have to be thankful to God for everything, even when things don't go my way. I shouldn't be, have to be thankful for flat tires. And I shouldn't have to be thankful that that uh, this happened or that happened. I shouldn't be thankful for all my hardships in life. And that pride, that self-orientation, then directs us away from God. We're not going to give Him glory because we're not thankful to Him for what He has done for us. You see, thankfulness is the foundation for all celebration. It's also the foundation for all relationships that succeed. When I find a man who isn't thankful for his wife, I'm going to find a marriage in trouble. When I find parents that aren't thankful for their children, I'm going to find a disrupted home. When I find children that aren't thankful for their parents, I'm going to find rebellion. When you find pastors who aren't thankful for their church people, you're going to find a bitter, harsh preacher. You find past churches that aren't thankful for their pastors. You're going to find a revolving door in the pulpit. When we find people who aren't thankful for their job, you'll find lazy workers. When you find people who are not thankful for their government you will find again rebellion and discontentment and evil all the day. See, thankfulness isn't just the foundation of celebration. It's the foundation of relationships, including a relationship with God. When people weren't thankful for God's revelation of himself and a, that he is who he is a benevolent one who is ruler of all the universe who has eternal power that there is that godhead that all of his righteousness is, is godly all, is known it's manifest it's been shown to us but i don't want to glorify him because i'm not thankful for it thankfulness is necessary for worship It's necessary that we come with thankful hearts to even the hardships of life. We find that part of celebrating and worshiping and having a right relationship with God built on thanksgiving is tied to your memory. It's tied to remember. I love that Revelation tells the Ephesians who lost their love. First love it says, remember. Remember where you came from. Remember what Christ has done for you. How can, you how, how can your love wane for God if you simply call to mind? Call it to mind. And so, you want to say, how do I keep this spirit of thanksgiving? I would contend it's by remembering all that God has done. Passover is a time to remember that something that happened for the the Israeli people thousands of years ago. They're still remembering it today. That God delivered them from Egypt with a mighty hand. We celebrate every Sunday. The reason we worship on Sunday is to celebrate weekly what Christ did what God did in Christ in the resurrection on that Sunday morning so long ago, thousands of years ago, to rehearse and remember so that we can sustain Thanksgiving not just for a season, not even for a year, but generationally we can be thankful. And so the Israeli people today can celebrate in thanksgiving, that they are called out unique people because of something that happened thousands of years ago that they still celebrate today. And I will never stop celebrating the coming of our Savior as an opportunity for us to, to be thankful. And yes, I know they probably wasn't born December 25th, and I know there's pagan parts to it, but we celebrate. Because we want to remember that this is why we are thankful, is because Christ left heaven's glory. Which I told you last thing I wouldn't be willing to do once I'm there. For you. Because there's love for you. Oh, why can't we be thankful? Because we don't remember. We don't want to remember. Do you see it here in Romans? They didn't want to remember. They didn't want to acknowledge it. It could be known. It was known. But what did they do? God showed it to us. But what did they do with it? They darkened their hearts. I'm sorry. Their hearts were darkened. Their foolish hearts were darkened. And they changed the glory of God into an image. They replaced it. They didn't want to remember and if you want to really draw out a spirit of thanksgiving, it requires you, first of all, to humble yourself and recognizing who you are and who God is, lest you level any accusation of, of evil against Him in your heart, which will produce bitterness, but that you also must remember what He has done for you. We're going to do some of that tonight. I'm going to have, have a little exercise of remembering God's goodness to us. In a very simple acrostic that even your preschool children know, we're going to categorize our remembrances so that we could develop our thankfulness and then we'll come worship. Amongst all of the sacrifices and offerings and activity that Israel was instructed to do in the Temple Mount or the Tabernacles uh, before the Temple was built, Among them was they had to come with a thank offering. Kind of an interesting thing. Um, Nobody gets to eat the thank offering. Isn't that interesting? You know what you do with your thank offering? You poured it out before the Lord. You dumped it on the ground. This doesn't belong to anybody. None of us are worthy of it. We're pouring it out before the Lord. He alone. And we're remembering how God has provided for us. How He has cared for us. And then we have this to pour out before Him. And we do it as a way of thanking Him. For His goodness, mercy, grace, love toward us. Indeed, all the celebrations, all the feasting before God is all built around the foundation of being thankful for his hand in their lives the wicked are not so they're unthankful the tragedy is when thanklessness comes into the church in 2nd Timothy chapter 3 Paul relates what the church will look like in the last days. This isn't about what society will look like, but this is what godliness will look like. <laughs> as strangely as that is. Godliness will become ungodly. Weird, huh? 2nd Timothy chapter 3 Without thankfulness, this is where we go. In in, in the last days, perilous times will come for men will be lovers of themselves. There's that pride. Lovers of money, there's that idolatry. Boasters, pride, proud. Blasphemers, disobedient to parents. There's that rebellion I talked about. And that next word is, in fact, unthankful. Unholy, unloving, unforgiving. That's why forgiveness is tied in. In Luke 17, to your thankfulness. If we are generally thankful for what God has done for us, we are ready to share it with others. Slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. In verse 5 is what tells me it's in the church. It says, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. These people are claiming to be godly. These people are claiming to live for God. These people are claiming to be Christians. These people are claiming to be followers of Jesus Christ. And it kind of looks like it on the outside because they dress up nice on Sunday. They go to church. They put money in the, in the box, plate, whatever, um, bag, some churches. Um, they do all those things. They have the hype. But this is what the spirit that's within them is rebellion rebellion. And it's centered here, among the list here, and we find unthankfulness. When unthankfulness has come in and become the spirit within the people of God, who claim to be the people of God, um, there is no godliness. There is no worship. There is nothing there that that brings an aroma of sacrifice before God. And it is built off of self-interest. Because people aren't coming to God saying, I am an unprofitable servant. I've only done my duty. God is to be praised for all the rest. Which is everything. I'm an unprofitable servant. I've only done the minimum. God is the one who should be praised. That humble response enables us To be a thankful people. I don't hold that against God. He's a benevolent master who has brought me into his service. And I rejoice in the privilege of serving Jesus Christ. It is a privilege. It is an honor. Um, The the idea there is not of a person enslaved by force. But rather one who has given himself to the service of a beloved master. They're called bond servants. They'd have their ear pierced with an insignia of the family. So they would be recognized that this is one who has chosen to spend the balance of his life serving a beloved master. And his response to a hard day's labor in the field and having to come home and cook and clean for this guy I've only done the minimum. I'm not profitable. I'm not bringing anything to the table. He's the one that provides. It's his land. It's his food. It's his house. It's his shelter. It's his clothing I'm wearing. It's it's him that I serve. I'm the unprofitable one. I'm not going to complain against him. He's my beloved. You see how the spirit of thankfulness comes by recognizing who and what God has done on our behalf, and then responding, understanding that we are the debtors. We are the ones who, who have something. To, we are the receivers. We are the ones who have something to, to offer thanksgiving for. And when unthankfulness enters into the church, worship is gone. There is none celebration is empty. You can't celebrate. Every celebration is, is intended to give thanks to God for this. Thanks to God for this. Thanks to God for this. Because we have disconnected celebration from thanks to God, most of our neighbors seem to want to celebrate Thanksgiving by becoming so drunk they can't remember the day. They choose to celebrate thankfulness to God for their country by getting so drunk they can't remember the day. They want to be so thankful for the veterans they are going to get so drunk they can't remember one of them by name. They want to be so thankful for their job they want to get so drunk they can't remember where they go to work. You see, We don't want to be thankful anymore because we are not humbled before the one who provides everything for us. We don't think of ourselves as unprofitable servants. We think of ourselves with high esteem. We are boasters, proud, lovers of ourselves. And because of that, we are unthankful, we are unloving, we are unforgiving. Brutal and despises of good because of our haughtiness. We don't genuinely love God. We actually kind of hold it against Him that He has any demands of us at all. We think that highly of ourselves. And so it is no surprise, going back to Luke 17, that nine didn't come back. But Christ has one thing that I want to part with you today to stir you up to thankfulness. And that is the last thing Christ said to this man that we know of. Verse 19. He said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. The apostles said, Increase our faith. Jesus Christ has now had an opportunity to illustrate for them what faith is. Faith is not just receiving the good things of God, it's being thankful for them and worshiping Him for what He's done for you. That's faith. And when I say the good things of God, I don't just mean health, wealth, and all things happy. The good things of God sometimes might include hardship, Opposition. Persecution. If you ever want to see what kind of things qualify as the good hand of God, read the book of Job. You'll begin to discover. And it is out of this spirit of recognizing what real faith is. The disciples, by the time we get to the book of Acts, are able to be beaten in the, because they hold the name of Jesus and leave rejoicing that they were counted worthy of suffering for His name's sake. It is built on this chapter. This is where the Spirit comes from. This is where the faith comes from to to receive from God, yes. We always want to receive the good things of God. We always want to get this stuff. But faith is about bringing glory to God, to give Him thanks, to fall on our face before Him, And recognize we have a debt. And service, even obeying every command of God to serve him, doesn't begin to repay that debt. We are unprofitable servants. We should be thankful. We should be thankful for all that we have and every circumstance we encounter Knowing that God works all things together for our good. If we love Him and are called according to His purposes. This kind of faith makes you well. The world is chasing wellness. Pouring exorbitant amounts of energy into being entertained, distracted, and quote-unquote happy. And they're failing. Because they've left the critical element out of their endeavors. They have done what has been described in Romans 1. They don't want to think about God and they're not thankful. And when I'm thankful for my family, it is an easy thing to serve them, be faithful to them. If I am thankful for my church, it is an easy thing to serve them and be patient and wait on them. If I am thankful for my nation, it is an easy thing to serve it. If I am thankful for my job, it is an easy thing to help my boss make money. If I am thankful. Make your life easy. Be thankful, you unprofitable servants. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your great love for us and for your word before us. And we do marvel at it. And Lord, we have to come before you humbly acknowledging that as you have described the church, it often characterizes our spirits as haughty, proud, boasters, loving ourselves. And it has produced unthankfulness in us and we see it. We confess it as sin. We know that it has kept perhaps some of us from worshiping even this hour. It has kept some from even being here this hour to worship. Oh, we pray for your forgiveness. You have given us so much. We sit here in great comfort. In the midst of a cold, windy day, warm and protected. We look forward to a time of feasting tonight. In a week of feasting that you have called to celebrate, our nation's called to celebrate Thanksgiving to you. They've lost the divine part of that celebration and of all of our celebrations. But we have not, Lord. We want to serve you with joy as thankful people, knowing that we don't deserve a bit of what you've done for us. And of all the creaturely comforts we have, these are nothing compared to what you have done for us on Calvary's cross. But what you've done for us spiritually, what you hold for us in our future, the, in your spirit that resides within us is... A, That's the guarantee, the inheritance that awaits us. And Lord, we have so much bounty that we didn't deserve any of it. We are ashamed that we are not thankful always for everything. Lord, we pray that not only this day and and the balance of it, that we might give you praise and worship you and celebrate your goodness to us with genuine joy, but that throughout this week it might be the central focus of our family life and of our church life, our time at work, school. And Lord, that it might be a quality that we carry all our days into eternity in your presence. We pray, this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.